Welcome to PB&J Connection. This will not be televised podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I'm PB. And I'm Jay. Our health-related discussions will convey educational information about medical research, studies, facts, findings, and experiences of people from every walk of life. Concepts will be simple and easy to understand. We've got you covered. And we promise to not be boring. So let's dive into the world of health you won't find on your television. Welcome listeners to our podcast. This is PBJ Connection. This will not be televised. And before we get started, uh, Pam is going to start us with the trivia question for this podcast. So Pam, what's the question for today? Hey listeners, so the question, the trivia question for today is what is the name of NASA's Mars Stimulation Habitat? If you want to hear the answer, please wait till the end of the podcast and we'll give you the name as well as a brief description of what it is and what it's like. All right. Thanks, Pam. Um, So listeners, stay tuned. Uh, This is a pretty interesting and um, valuable subject. What we're going to talk about today is important to both our male listeners and to our female listeners who have um, men in their life who they care about. So Pam, go ahead and get us started. Okay, today's topic, thanks Jay for that intro, today's topic is the the prostate. So a lot of times people talk about prostate and nobody really understands what the prostate is. I'm not going to say, I'm going to say a lot of women don't know what the prostate is and and I, I have to believe that there are some men who are not sure the prostate or its function. So the prostate is a small gland um, right below the bladder in front of the rectum of a male. It is the, the part in which makes reproductive reproduction possible because what it does, it produce, its main role is to produce the, the seminal fluid or let's call it semen, um, which nourishes and transports sperm. Hey, Pam. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to add to that. Because I'm going to be technical. I'm going to add to that what you just described. So, uh-huh. so if you if you look at um, Cleveland Clinic, actually had a diagram. Uh, you probably saw uh, diagrams too, Pam, when you were doing your research. A okay. really good diagram of where it's located and, and uh, how it operates. But this this gland, this walnut-sized gland, um, just like Pam said, it, it helps produce semen. And it, what it does is, so this, I just learned this, folks. This, this is not something I, I knew, okay? So <laughs> this is a learning experience for me. Um, it produces, it helps produce semen along with the testicles and the seminal vesicles, which I didn't even know that what those were, but they, those are narrow glands on each side of the prostate gland. And so the ejaculate, which is, you know, the semen, that is a product of the prostate ducts pushing prosthetic fluid from the prostate into the urethra, where it combines with the sperm from the testicles and seminal vesicles. So I, I didn't know that, Pam. I, just wanted I didn't to add, either. I just wanted to add that uh, to the mix. So I'm sorry to interrupt Whoa, you, but I just had to... That's- that's from, right. That's from the Harvard. That's from Harvard's uh, description. It, I thought it was a really good uh, description of what what goes on with that. 
Yeah, and that's that's great because I'm I'm glad you also emphasize the size of it. So it's the size of a walnut. So it's really not that large. But at the same time, you know, the thing is that it, you can have complications. Males can have complications from their prostate. And so I'm not going to get into that. But, you know, when should you start having, a lot of times men don't know when they should start having exams. You know, when is the best time to have exams? So here it is, you know, as far as getting when to get started with exams, it generally depends on one, things like family history, your personal health and risk factors. Um, however, it's typically not recommended until you're about the age of 50, unless, unless, and they always have this unless, unless there is a family history or there's other risk factors such as being of African-American descent because African-Americans uh, end up having larger, a larger amount of, of males who are diagnosed with prostate cancer, more than any other group. So, you know, the exam itself is not always not a pleasant exam, <laughs> you know. For, for most males, and I think that a lot of times that's why males kind of, you know, forego it or decide, you know what, I'm not going down that road because the, the exam itself is called a, a digit exam, and so, or digital rectum exam, or, you know, some people call it the digit exam because of the fact that the method they use is that they, you know, the healthcare provider inserts a glove finger, you know, a finger up the rectum of a male to feel the prostate. But this is a, it's not the only way of determining the, the health of, of the prostate, but it is recommended because it is a good indicator of a prostate cancer. When you can look at the size and the way it feels, um, and so you have to gotta go, okay, uh, I don't want to do this, but it may be good to do this, hey, you Pam. know, because of the fact that, you know, some, some other procedures may not pick up on what the digit can pick up, what the feel of, of, of a, you know, cancer is. Okay, Pam, I'm, I'm jumping in here. Okay, so, so here, listeners, male listeners, don't, don't be all crying and whining because women from the time they start having periods and start going to an OBGYN, there isn't one crack or crevice or hole that is not inspected when we go in to the doctor. So don't be crying and whining about one little four to five second digital exam with one finger that's gonna make sure that you don't have cancer and your prostate's in good shape. So that's all I want to say. <laughs> no, that's a that's a I don't point. I don't even want right. to hear. I don't want to hear no whining and crying about men. Don't I don't want to go and get my prostate checked because someone's gonna stick a stick a finger up there. I'm like, well, find a doctor with a small finger, okay? There you go. That's all I'm saying. There so, you go. Thank you. I just had and to if vent. You have to do a consult. Look at the doctor's hands before you decide make that decision. <laughs> You know? It's usually the but index a, finger, by the way. That's a really good point, Jay, because of the fact you're absolutely right. 
when it when you know the first time that I had as female the first time that I had a pelvic exam and they took those metal clamps you know and, and lubricated them and oh, then geez. opened it up and you can hear the crank turning oh geez and it's, just uh, relax yeah just relax that's what they tell you. Just relax. Yeah, they tell you just relax, and they're hitting you on your leg, right? They're patting you on your leg, mm -hmm. like just relax. At the same time, it's mm -hmm. like, do you understand this is the first time someone has ever put a metal apparatus in me yes. and and cranked it, you know, like a jack, to end up opening <laughs> up wide enough, wide enough to get a sample. It's crazy. It's crazy. Oh my so, gosh, that's too yeah. funny. <laughs> I would rather have the finger than the clamp. Oh, tell so me I, about I, it. I think yeah. males have it extremely easy. Yeah, well. Because, you know, it, eventually as you get older, we also end up getting fingered in the rectum. And mammograms. You know, Don't forget the mammograms. The mammogram, the smush of the breast. Yeah, you're right. Mm. So, but the thing is that it's, it's important for people to understand that these exams are for your benefit to get tested early, to find out, you know, are you in good health? Are you not in good health? Because there's so much good medicine out there, I'm gonna say good medicine, that can not only prevent certain cancers now, but they can also have early detections in which you can be treated and you don't have to worry about it. So there's a, you know, a whole thing about that. But let's talk about, um, Let's talk about some racial disparities. When when we talk about prostate cancer, Jay, I think you'll probably end up talking about, you know, the types of problems that you end up having with uh, with the prostate. But one of kind of the prevalent ones is uh, prostate cancer. So when you look at the racial disparities, like I, I said earlier. Um, it is more prevalent in black males compared to white and European males. Um, and, and it has to do with a lot of the, the types of environments uh, as well as the types of medical care that they're receiving, you know, this, this comparison, but it's also a genetic disparity. Um, in which black males are more subject to being uh, being diagnosed with prostate cancer than any other race, even when you consider Latinos, because the fact with the the problem with Latinos is that there are so many um, individual groups. When you talk about Latinos, you have Mexicans, you have Puerto Ricans, you have Cubans, you have Dominicans, you have also Central and South. American descendants. So it's hard to even generalize or come up with statistical data as far as Latinos. And surprisingly enough, Asians have the lowest, the lowest incidence of, of prostate cancer. And so, but they said that a lot of it has to do with the social economic situation as well as just a genetic disparity among groups. So for for any black males that are listening to this, my thing is get tested early because you can get tested between the ages of 40 and 45 because it's possible that because of your uh, genetics, you may be 
susceptible to getting prostate cancer. Um, and if you have any family history, you know, relatives that have had prostate cancer, you are a higher risk factor. So the best time to get tested is between the ages of 40 and 45. Um, everyone else uh, who doesn't have, is not predisposed to any of these factors, um, 50 is usually the point that you should have your first prostate exam. Hey, Pam, you know something that I didn't, and you may have found this in your research, I didn't even think about it until just now. Do mm-hmm. you, did you find that the um, type of doctor that men should be going to as a urologist versus a general practitioner? Because I know when my, and I, I'm revealing something, my dad had prostate issues in his later age. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to go to a urologist um, to get things figured out. Did you find that that is the type of doctor that men should be going to see or, or not? I just didn't see I that mentioned. I didn't see anything in my research where they just said help. They just referred to everything as a healthcare provider. Okay. Or, and usually what happens is, you know, just like with us women, when we go to the doctor, they all refer us to a specialist mm-hmm. if they're not sure. And here in the United States, that's like the thing to do, you know, it's like standard operating procedures. If you're not sure or if you're not specialized in a particular area, then they will refer you to a specialist. You know, if they see something that's not right or not correct, or, or they may run other tests. Maybe the PSA, the, the blood test, maybe that yeah. is uh, like a general practice. And sorry, listeners, I, I, uh-huh. I did not look at this part when I was doing research, but maybe when they do the PSA test, if it looks kind of out of kilter, maybe then they go to a urologist. Okay, is that maybe. what happened to your dad? They ended up doing the blood test? Well, he had, I don't know when his prostate became enlarged. Um, it was before, you know, he was living with me for, for mm-hmm. caregiving. So I, I would assume that that happened, you know, early on. He was, you know, in his 90s. So, right. um I would he was going when he was with me he was going to a urologist to get all that okay. you know medication and all that jazz so right right exactly so you know I mean to the takeaway from you know just thinking about it is like just go get tested it is not it, it doesn't last long it's not traumatic it, it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience for a lot of people um, you know, if you're extremely nervous, like about having the procedures, talk to your physician, let them know that you're nervous so that they can have the conversation with you. Um, a lot of times I know that men more so than women will go into a doctor's office and not ask a bunch of questions. They just wanted to hurry up and be over with it. And let's go home. <laughs> Tell me I'm okay. And let me go home. But it's just so important it is really important that that men and women you know every every person on earth is to actually take the time with the physician because jay you and i talked about this before i'm paying them they work for me okay and if you don't have time for me then i don't need to be paying you i need to go find myself a doctor who's willing to give me the time in order to answer my questions sufficient enough for me to understand and if, if I'm not getting that from one, then guess what? There are a thousand one doctors out there who's willing to take the time to have those discussions and will make the time to do so. 
for the safety and well-being of their patients. So that's just my take on it. Yeah, and we, you and I have talked about, um, hey, if you don't like your physician, you don't have to stay with your physician. Go find another one. I can't tell you, I've been through quite a few physicians because they just didn't, uh, we didn't click. You you need to find a physician that is going to work with you that just like Pam said, they're going to um, be your advocate, they're going to be your champion, and they're going to help you um, and and not make you feel bad about seeing them and making you feel comfortable. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Jane, uh, tell me, let's talk about uh, prostate cancer for a minute, okay. or some of the other ailments that happen in the prostate yeah. that could cause problems. So, um, in addition to what Pam had said about prostate cancer, there there are other two conditions. One is called prostateitis. Boy, that's a that's a twenty five mm-hmm. cent word, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's an infection or inflammation of the prostate. And so there are two types of that prostateitis, um, acute and chronic. Um, acute is usually caused by an infection, usually by bacteria, um, which results in painful urination and a small stream and often fever and chills. Chronic prostateitis is also called chronic pelvic pain syndrome, and that Ooh. includes persistent or recurrent pelvic discomfort, pain, or burning with urination and an increased urge to urinate, difficulty emptying the bladder, and painful ejaculation. Um, I mean, all in all, that sounds very painful. Um, and I, I'm not even a guy, right? <laughs> so, so when you see those commercials, I guess when you see those commercials about, you know, men not being able to uh, get to the bathroom fast enough, mm-hmm. that may be an indication. I'm, I'm, you know, they used to have commercials all the time about, you know, if you get that urge, and you don't think you're going to make it? <laughs> yeah, well, so when you, you think about the uh, what you described when we first started, where the prostate is located, it's really close to the urethra, right? Mm-hmm. And so the urethra, mm-hmm. for folks who aren't familiar with that term, it's like the tube. It's the tube where your pee comes out for, for men mm-hmm. and women. Men and women right. both have a urethra. And so with men, if that prostate is enlarged or inflamed and it's pushing against the urethra, it's going to, number one, be painful, right? And number two, it's going to press up against that tube so that the urine stream doesn't come out like it normally does, right? And so if there's a bacterial infection, just like a a urinary tract infection, I would think, although I'm assuming this, you know, if, if stuff gets backed up, uh, for not being able to, to empty out because, as we said in our previous podcasts, you know, when you urinate, that's when all your toxic stuff, I mean, that's you're clearing your body of bad things, right? You don't want those bad things to stay in. So when you empty your bladder, you want that stuff to come out. You don't want it to stay in or get backed up so that the infection becomes worse. So what's interesting about this is it says between 9%, and this is from, uh, from Cleveland Clinic uh, article, between 9% and 16% of men develop prostateitis at some point. It affects younger and older men equally and leads to nearly 2 million doctor visits. That's, that's pretty significant, I think. Um, and it's, it's not contagious, by the way, in case anybody is wondering. Um, so something- so is it, it senses an itis. When Listeners, whenever you hear itis, I-T-I-S behind a word, it's usually inflammation or infection. And that's what it refers to. So 
Jay, doing your research, in that case, the prostatitis, do they treat it with antibiotics or do you know what the treatment plan is? Well, it said in the article that I read um, by Cleveland Clinic that the infection, the acute version, is usually an infection caused by bacteria. So that would be treated, I would think, by an antibiotic because that's okay. usually what the treatment is. Um, right. It did not go into what the chronic uh, prostateitis was, what the... It, it says it's an inflammation. Plant. It said with or without an infection. So I, I would think oh, that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to result. I'm sorry, guys. You're probably going to have to get a digital exam to see, you know, maybe there's some kind of something that they can feel when they do that exam. And by right. the way, that exam is not like a lingering. It's not like they're spending 15 minutes rooting around in there. I'm just saying. What I read was only like five seconds, okay? So it's not like, when, you know, with guys, if they're, if they're getting all freaked out about this digital exam, it's not like the doctor is going to stand there for 15 minutes invading your privacy, you know, in your private parts. So just wanted to get that cleared up too. Um, the other thing, and this is what my dad had, by the way, um, this was benign prosthetic hyperplasia, an enlarged mm -hmm. prostate. Um, and it's an excessive growth of one gland that, uh, of the gland that usually occurs after age 50. It can okay. double or triple in mass during the later decades of life. Wow. And so when you think about where that location is, right? Mm -hmm. It's close mm -hmm. to the bladder. It's close to the urethra. Um, it's right. close to the rectum. So, mm -hmm. boy, if that thing gets enlarged by, you know, twice its size or three times its size, holy mackerel. That's a big deal, right? And so about 50% of cases are asymptomatic, um, but some men will experience problems. And if you think about an enlarged prostate, given its location, I would imagine, um, and based on what I read, that the urine stream is going to, uh, it, it's going to pinch off the urethra. Um, mm. It's going to, uh, it says, making the muscular walls of the bladder have to work harder and causing problems with urination. So you've got a weak urine stream, a frequent urge to urinate, waking up at night to use the bathroom, leaking and dribbling, you know, back to your talk about, I right. can't make it to the bathroom, right? Because right. it's, it's ready to go. Um, so a very large prostate may cause urinary obstruction uh, with an inability to empty the bladder. And so, and this happened with my dad, um, that leads to urinary tract infections. And in the elderly, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. Um, that could be a huge deal because if it's asymptomatic, if someone has a urinary tract infection, a UTI is what I call them and what Pam, what right. you call them too. Um, if you have a UTI and you don't know that you have it, that's going to cause other things to happen in your body because things are backing up. Things are happening. Bacteria is multiplying. It's bad, bad stuff. You don't want to go there. Um, so any kind of urinary obstruction, you just don't want that to have happen. So getting back to um, wrapping this up, talking about prostate cancer. Um, just like Pam said, uh, I, I, what I read too, uh, African-Americans are at greater risk for prostate cancer, especially the more aggressive forms than any other group in the United States. Um, the prostate cancer is the second leading cause of cancer deaths among men in the U.S. That should be a wake-up call. 
um, yeah. for for you guide listeners out there and the ladies who you know have men in their lives uh, who you know might want to you know prod them to go get an exam if they haven't already. Um, the American Cancer Society estimated that in two, 2022, um, 268,000 plus men would be diagnosed with prostate cancer, with 34,000, almost 35,000 guys dying from it. Um, but here's the deal. 98% of men survive for 10 years after it's diagnosed. 96% survive 15 years because most often prostate cancer is low-grade and stays localized within the prostate. So there are definitely, I did not look, I did not research all the treatments because I know there are several because I've known several men who have had prostate cancer and they got treated differently, all, all of them that I've, that I've talked to. And that's another podcast, right? Um, I, I think the bottom line, you know, between what, Pam uh, told the uh, listeners and uh, what we found out, it's, guys should not delay. Guys should, you know, if, if their doctor, if their general practitioner, whoever said, hey, you need to get a prostate exam, you should go ahead and do that. And, and the, fing, the, the glove finger, <laughs> the digital the rectal, lubricated finger, the lubricated <laughs> gloved finger should not dissuade you from going. It'll give you a baseline. Um, it'll, you know, keep you in check. The last thing that anybody wants to have is cancer, and the last thing that anybody wants to have is, ha you know, getting cancer and then having it treated, um, especially right. when it comes to their equipment, right? Right, <laughs> just right. Be... exactly. And if anything that we've said on this podcast um, may cause some alarms, um, here it is. Anxiety can be, we can create our own anxiety in our minds. And the best thing to do is not think about, you know, what it could be. It's like going on Google and just looking up symptoms and say, oh, that's what I have. Find out from, go to a, a licensed healthcare professional, get the test done, any test that they have. If you want to get multiple tests, I always, I believe in multiple tests. I don't believe in just one test. Because there's so, like I said, we have good medicine out here, and there's false and so, positives. Uh, if you you probably saw this too in your in your mm -hmm. uh, research, Pam, is that some of the PSA tests are some of them come up as false positives. So just like right. Pam said, uh, you know, just because one test says something doesn't mean you maybe should get another one just as a double Absolutely. check. Absolutely, absolutely. Even if your physician said, "Well, I don't think it's needed," that's what he thinks about you. <laughs> But you, for your level of comfort and security, as well as the ease of any anxiety or stress, thinking that, you know, something is wrong and somebody's not picking it up, if they're not willing to give you a test, another test or another type of test, then find another physician. Find someone who is going to do a comprehensive, you know, and that, that includes multiple tests to find out what is wrong. Because only you are responsible for you. Take that control. Be be, be your own advocate. Yep. Yep. So you're probably wondering what the answer is to the trivia question. This is pretty interesting. The answer is, well, the question was, what is the name of NASA's Mars Stimulation Habitat? And the answer is Mars Dune Alpha. 
Okay. It's interesting because this is going to, this is the first of, I think, four tests that they're going to do. The test is going to run for 378 days here on Earth. What they did was they did, it's four scientists who volunteered, not astronauts. Now, mind you, it was not astronauts. It was scientists who volunteered to study the physical as well as the behavioral aspects of living on Mars for 378 days in four, I think it's, no, three small rooms. Oh, no, it's four small rooms. And, and the environment was created from 3D printer. And what they did was they have all this red sand, okay? And so it's three, four small rooms, um, a gym, and a lot of red sand. And so they, these people have to stay in this environment for 378 days. As they study, here it is. These are scientists that are studying themselves. <laughs> yeah, and, and, they're, and they're kind of the guinea pigs being studied. And here's something else, Pam, that I found out too. So these are volunteers. These aren't like employees of NASA that did this. These are volunteers that did mm -hmm. this. And I saw something interesting just this morning. Guess how much they're getting paid? They how volunteered, much? but they're getting paid. How much? 60 grand. Each person's but getting 378 days. 60 grand. Yeah. 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 For 378 yeah. days yeah. away from their family, their friends, and any simulation to their life. So that's that's pursuant to uh, Yahoo search who said that uh, the the Houston Chronicle because this particular um, simulation this this habitat is in Houston Texas by the way in case people were wondering where it was located it's in Houston it's amazing who it's knew amazing. right I wish them luck because I don't think I can and it's not like these people normally live with each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I can only imagine after the first 90 days, you know, somebody is going to want to escape. Somebody. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know which scientists. I don't know, you know, uh, but somebody is going to want to escape and they can't. And so that's going to be interesting because it's like being held in a prison camp. Now, they, I'm sure they're going to have... <laughs> I know that they're going to have communications with their families. In a prison and, camp. And, yes. Can you imagine? Oh, man. Not me. I'll tell you this. I'm going to be honest with you, Jay, and our listeners. You cannot put me in a closed environment for more than 30 days. You know, COVID was hard enough, and it had a large impact on people's psychological as well as physical um, health. And this is and only. I don't think this is going to be any different. And this is only seventeen hundred square feet. Right. I mean, it's not. Is, it's not like a gymnasium. Right. Right. It's small. It is small. Close quarters. Very small. Four. Is it four people or three people? It's four. Four, it's four, four scientists. So four people. So four people in seventeen hundred square foot enclosure. Yep. Enclosures. Oh boy. Yeah. And. Here it is. Uh, they, it's going, like I said, it's going to be an interesting experiment. And when they emerge, 
I don't think they are going to want to seek either. They're going to, I'm not going to say this because, you know, humans have a, a, a great way of adapting to their environments. But when you're talking about isolation, it's like internment camps, you know, you're <laughs> isolated from the world. That goes out the window. You know, somebody's going to end up cursing somebody out. Somebody's going to end up, <laughs> you know, putting themselves in timeout. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's interesting, though. When you think about the International Space Station, I don't know what uh-huh. the square footage is of that, but I have to imagine that it might be it's, similar. It's, I think it's larger. Is it larger? I think it's larger. Okay. Yeah, I think it's larger than that, for sure. Because that's a very small, I mean, I saw the when they were starting to build the, the rooms and the, putting together the three, 3D rooms and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, yeah, they may have space to walk around outside, you know, in the red sand. But inside, it's going to be a di- whole different environment because it's like, I could, it's like living in a tiny house, you know, with four people. Yeah. You know, you have. You have you have very limited you have very limited space on the inside. Um, it's going to be to me. It's it's quite an experiment and undertaking because NASA is doing this. Listeners, NASA is doing this to figure out you know living environments and conditions for future space travel. Um, I don't know what they're going to get out of it, other than I hope that the four volunteers went through psychological training prior to being placed in those environments. And I'm sure they did because I, you know, as, as a former NASA employee, I know the, the rigorous routines that they put the astronauts through. Um, but even that, even then, it's not 100% guaranteed the results. It's, it said in the article that I read, and assuming that this article is accurate from cbsnews.com, that none of them are trained astronauts. One is a emergency medicine physician. One's a U.S. Oh. Navy microbiologist. One's oh. a research scientist, and one is a structural engineer. So now it leads me. Now that you mentioned that, Jay, it just kind of leads me down another rabbit hole because I'm wondering how are they going to um, how are they going to look at the behavioral aspects of the environment when most of them are usually looking at the physical aspects of in the work that they do. That's interesting. So listeners, stay tuned, stay involved, stay connected to your news. Let's find out what happens because this might end up being a podcast on the 379th day when they they all emerge, if they make it that long. And on that note, listeners, thanks again for listening to TVJ Connections. We're wishing you much love, wellness, health, and happiness.
Thank you.